I'm, I'm so challenged. Every time I see a kid step out and just believe God at his word, I go, why do we make it so complicated? And so simple. Well, hey, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, this is week four of series Crazy Faith, four out of five. We've been having some fun uh, talking through what it means to follow Jesus, not just in the religious ritual of life, but in the full pursuit of believing a God who doesn't live in uh, the bounds as we as humans, but is far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. So we've been talking about what it looks like to have this crazy faith, this over-the-top faith that just uh, is willing to believe God beyond what uh, maybe we understand to be true here and now, because God's bigger. And so we define crazy faith as uh, this. We said, uh, let's read it up here. Uh, Thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. That there's certain moments in life, certain defining marks uh, that you see all throughout the Bible where you just believe something so much and you may not have all the facts. Like we talked about Noah, a man of crazy faith who was told to go build a boat, and arguably it had never rained, and yet he was supposed to build not just a boat, but a zoo. Now that's crazy to do until it happened, and then it became faith. And we said, we don't start there, though. We have to start somewhere else, and that was baby faith. We define baby faith as this, as simply the ability to trust God at his word, that if God said it, I'm going to believe it. I don't need to overcomplicate everything, right? I just... God said it, I'm going to trust that he's a good father, I'm going to walk in obedience to whatever it is that he says. That, that, that is the starting point for all the other kinds of faith, that if we don't trust God or his character or his word, we're not going to be able to step on anything else that God has for us, because his character will always be in question, where baby faith says his character solid, it's just whether I lean into that or not. And then last week, we said, what happens when, when you want to believe God out of his word, and you feel like God leads you to do something, but you're not quite sure? And that's what we said, where maybe faith comes in, where we don't always have 100% uh, of the facts that we need. However, I'm willing to believe that it may be God until it proves to be God. I don't know if that God told me to build a boat, but I'm sure going to believe God until it proves when the rain starts coming, then it proved to be God. I said the difference between um, faith is not doubt, but fear. And we drew a line in the stage and said there's this line in life where we could choose to operate our life out of fear and self-preservation, or when we hear God's word, we step across the line out of fear into faith, even if it's only 51%. Even if I'm not 75% sure, even if I'm not 90% sure, I want to position myself in a place that if it was God, I was not interrupting it for my lack of faith. That if God did want to do it, I would be positioned for him to do it. So that was what we said. So this week what we're going to talk about is what happens when you do believe God at his word, you do believe it might be God until it proves to be God, and you cross the line out of fear and into faith, and then all of a sudden you hit adversity. (laughs) Like, I thought that was God. I believed it to be God. I moved in faith. I did. I, like Abraham, I got up and I sold everything. And then all of a sudden, I hit adversity. Because we all know that's true in life, don't we? You begin to step out in in faith in God. You begin to follow God. And it seems like everything just gets harder. So that's where we're going to go today. I want to pray before we open the word. We're going to just be through Matthew 14 the entire time. I want to pray and then we'll get started. Jesus, we come before you this morning. And we humbly acknowledge our need for you. God, we need you to give us the faith. We need you to give us the strength. We need you to give us the ears to hear this word and the hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me to your people and that we would all walk away more like you from this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. To give you some context of what's happening here in this passage, um, Jesus has just done an incredible miracle with his disciples. 
Uh, they used a kid's Lunchable and made it enough to feed 5,000 people. And out of the 5,000 people, there was leftovers. It was an incredible miracle. Well, after this, they're quite tired. And so Jesus sends them in a boat and, and basically kicks them out of town. He says, get in the boat and leave. So that's where we're going to pick up the stories immediately after that miracle. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. What you see is we're going to park right there. What you see in the story that becomes immediately evident is that the disciples are going to become, going to find themselves in a position that's dangerous. The storm's coming their way. But here's what you need to pick up from these first couple of verses is that Jesus sent them into the storm. They didn't go into the storm because they were disobedient. They didn't end up in a trial or a difficulty because they were rebelling from God. They're going to end up confronting and being stuck in the middle of a storm because they obeyed Jesus. And everybody ever felt like that? <laughs> Like, I feel this tension in my life sometimes where I go, you know what, I, I feel like I stepped out in obedience to God, and I know his character is true, and so what I'll do is I'll start listening through his characters. Okay, he hasn't failed any of those. Like, it surprises me that he ever would, but somehow I still go through it. Like, okay, he hasn't failed. But what happens in my heart is I begin to examine my heart and say, where did I go wrong? Where did I, maybe I'm in this storm because I screwed up, and sometimes the answer is neither. <laughs> sometimes the answer is God is going to use the storm, and he sent you into it. He continues on with this. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. Jesus had stayed back on land, and he went away to pray with the Father. Jesus did this all through the scriptures. He got away from his disciples and just spent time with the Father because Jesus was about to do something in the natural that he had to prepare for spiritually. He went away spiritually because he was going to have to step out in the natural in a way that if he wasn't prepared for it, it wouldn't have gone well. So the disciples out in this storm are getting beat up. If you read the context around this passage, they've been out there rowing for eight hours straight. And some of you are living that life right now. You've been out there rowing against the headwinds for eight hours straight, and you just continually feel buffeted by life. And I'm sure after eight hours, the disciples are getting quite tired here. But, but we need to really park on this passage of Scripture and ask the question, why did Jesus send them into the storm? Like, what, what was he doing here? What was the purpose of sending them into the storm? I, I think as we examine storms sometimes, we can mislabel them, we can misidentify them. And I think we have to ask the question, as you examine the trials and difficulties and storms in your life, what, what if this was true? What if the scene of your greatest storm is the setting for your greatest breakthrough? What if Jesus sent you into a storm of your life because he's trying to position you to be ready for the greatest miracle that he's ever going to work in your life? What if the job he sent you to is the very job you needed to go to so it got bad enough that you finally realized that God was trying to deliver you from you? What if the relationship, and you never saw the search history, and you thought seeing the search history was real bad, but you would have never made the breakup if you didn't see the search history? You see, sometimes God's using the storm to posture you and position you for exactly what it is that he is going to do in your life. And what happens is if we mislabel the storms, we may miss what God is trying to do in our life. Let's continue on with the story here. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I don't know about you, 
But let's say your kid's rolling down the driveway, headed towards traffic, extreme danger. Are you walking to get that kid? Probably not, right? You're probably running. But yet, here's Jesus standing on the shore, looking at his disciples in danger, walking. See, the thing about Jesus is he never runs. You'll never find him in a hurry. You'll never find him rushing. But what I also find interesting is that Jesus could have stood on the shore and just said, waves be still, and the storm would have stopped. He had the power to stop the storm right there from the shore, but he didn't. And so it begs the question, why? I think it's because he wasn't concerned with the storm. I think it's because he was concerned with delivering his men. See, so often we pray the prayer, God, deliver us from this storm. And God's saying, no, 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 I sent the storm because I'm trying to deliver you. So you think your greatest danger is the storm. You think your greatest danger is the sickness. You think your greatest danger is the job. No, 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 no. That may very well be the tool God is using to deliver you from you. And as you see this story and, and you see what Jesus is about to do, it becomes very evident that Jesus is far more concerned with, the, with his men and who they are through the storm than he is delivering them from the storm. Now, that's a, that's a way that God operates that we don't always love. <laughs> like, it sounds fun for somebody else. <laughs> But in the middle of your storm, you're like, no, I'd really be happy if you just calmed the waves right now. He says, no, 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 I'm doing something. I'm working something in this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. See, here, here's the scene. They're all the seasoned fishermen out in the boat, middle of the storm, and I'm sure they went, ah, it's a ghost, right? So they're terrified. What does it say? They're, they're terrified. Jesus has to come calm them. But what did we hear last week? The difference between faith is not doubt, but fear. So all of a sudden in the storm, they revert back to fear. They're not sure what's out there. See, because the thing about storms is it makes it really hard to tell what's what. There's a lot of lack of clarity in storms. It's very hard to define in the trials of your life why God is doing what he's doing or if it's God or what in the world is even happening. And they begin to label something for their harm, which would eventually turn out to be for their good. They begin to label Jesus as a ghost when really he was their deliverer. See, sometimes God in the storm doesn't feel like God. Sometimes God in the middle of a trial doesn't feel like God. And we have to be patient to pause and go, I don't know. What if you, in the middle of your trials, begin to say this phrase? It may be too early to tell. Is that God in that? You know, it might be too early to tell if that's a ghost or if that's God. It might be too early to tell if that's for my destruction or for my good. Many of you know the last several months have been... Um, a roller coaster, I don't know what the proper word is for the word that describes my life. Um, my, back in March, my wife's uh, mother was in a severe accident. She tumbled her car head over heels several times, uh, degloved her hand. They were amazed that she even made it. Um, as a result of that, we sent my dog, which all of you know I'm a beloved dog person, and I begged my wife for two years to get a dog. If you don't know that, now you do. Um, as a result of that, I had to run down to Virginia. Virginia to help with some things, and so we left my dog with uh, some friends of ours, and the dog had some severe separation anxiety, and so he ate his blanket, and we didn't realize it, and it got into his stomach and messed up his organs, and we weren't able to save him, and so he died. And I paused and went, weird, God. That was weird. I'm not mad at you. That's just weird. Why'd you do that? I don't understand. And I just said, okay. And I said to my wife, I don't know why God did that, but it might be too early to tell why he did that. 
It, it might just be too early to tell why he did that. So we, we, we paused and we waited and we prayed. Well, two days later, we got a call from children and youth. And they said, hey, we know you guys have kind of been thinking about foster care. Do you want to jump in? Well, we got a three-month-old, so I don't know. Uh, would you? We prayed about it and just felt like God told us to step out in crazy faith, what seemed unreasonable and wild. We said, sure, we really believe God has called us to do this. So we did. And we took in the seven-year-old boy, um, who is a wonderful little boy, it requires a lot and lots of care. It pushed me to my parenting abilities, which was very small, apparently, and realized how unholy I am. But it was good. It was a good experience. It was a good growing curve for me. We loved this kid. We really felt like it was what God called us to do. But then five days, four days after that, we got a call that said the court ordered him back home. My wife and I just kind of looked at each other, and we're like, we solved our wounds over some cheeseburgers, I think. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, that's weird, God. I thought you called us over to trust you in faith. And, and I paused, and I said, you know what, baby? It, it might just be too early to tell what God's doing here. It might just be too early to tell. Well, two days later, Jocko fell out of his car seat in the parking lot and fractured his skull. Well, this foster care boy was an incredible flight risk. The moment you let go of his hand, he was gone. I can't imagine having to try to contain him and take care of Jocko in that same instance. And all of a sudden I said, oh. And then because he was under six months old when the tra trauma happened to his head, total accident, but protocol is that children and youth comes in and does an investigation. Well, they all knew our name because we just jumped on the foster care bandwagon. So when the report came in, they go, oh, we know the poosers. Yeah. They're good people. Let's go have a conversation with them. And it totally changed the tone of the conversation of the investigation. I said, okay, it, it might be too early to tell what you just did there, God. And then we said, okay, we need a break. And so God gave us about a week break. And then uh, I, <laughs> I was preaching crazy faith. And uh, there was a couple here who was considering joining Bridgewater as, as a pastor. And so they're sitting here listening to me preach crazy faith. We take them to lunch. And I'm sitting at lunch from them. And my wife leans over and says, children and youth called. And they want to know if we can take the teenager and her baby boy back. Because we had had them previously. Um, can we take them? Right in front of this couple. And I'm like, baby, you set me up. Because <laughs> I just preach crazy faith to a couple that we're trying to hire. I can't say no now, right? So... We're still working through that one. So I paused and I prayed and said, all right, God, this seems unreasonable to us. And I don't know what you're doing, but we'll do it. And so we stepped out and, man, God stretched our faith like crazy. And then some situations happened with the teenager and she um, was sent off to a secure facility. But we have her baby, so that's why you see twins out there. They're both with us, all right? <laughs> but what would have happened if way back when the accident happened or my dog died, I began to grow bitter at God? I begin to label something for my harm, and I begin to distrust his character, and I begin to say, no, danger, don't want to. What would have happened to the rest of these events? Would they have happened? But because I postured myself by the grace of God, there's nothing to do with me, but I postured myself in a position that said, you know what, it may be too early to tell why God is going to do this, but what I'm going to believe is that wavy faith says God's got to use this. I have to believe God's got to use this. There's no way this storm, your storm, anybody's storm makes sense unless God has the power to use this. And I want to stand in a position where God can do that. And so did Peter. Listen to what Peter says. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, what type of faith does that sound like? Maybe faith. If it's you... I don't know if that's you. It's too early to tell from here if that's you. Like, you imagine the conversation in the boat with the disciples. They're like, bro, is that Jesus? 
I don't know, he looks wider than normal. I'm not sure if that's Jesus. And then there's Peter just standing up going, Lord, if that's you, you might be a ghost, but if it's you, call me out of the water. Now, that's not what any of us would do. Let's be honest. You're in a boat with your friends in the middle of a storm, eight hours, you're tired, a ghost shows up, you're turning that boat around and going the other direction. <laughs> I don't care to find out what that is. I'm running away. And is that not true of what happens when God sends storms our way? We step out and follow God, and then we meet adversity, and we're not quite sure there's something we're afraid of, and rather than pressing into it, we say, ah, that's scary, and we start to walk away. Or we label it the enemy too soon, and we begin to steer away from where God has us because we don't have a grid all the time for the fact that God wants to use that storm to deliver us. But Peter says, no, 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 <laughs> call me out. Now, not only would I probably not turn the boat around, but what I probably also would have done was sat in the boat. It's, oh, it's Jesus. Come on, get in the boat. Get in the boat, Jesus. Come on, come on. Come, come over here. Come. And, and is that not what we do in our walk sometimes? God, come meet me where I am. God, come meet me in the safeties and borders that I have created. Like, God, you could just drive my wife by on the jet ski and just plop her in the boat. Like, that's fine. I, I don't really want to step out in faith. Like, just, just bring her to me, right? But Peter says, no, no, no. I got wavy faith. And I'm willing to believe. And here's how we define wavy faith believes God enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable. Believes God enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable. And this is the boat. Reasonable. What everybody else is doing. The expectations everybody else has. Jesus is calling many of us, not just into the boat of salvation, but to take our boat into deeper waters. Because what Peter's about to do didn't happen in a pond. It happened in the middle of a huge lake. He called him into a scary place. But wavy faith says, man, this doesn't make sense. This seems unreasonable, but I'm willing to follow God. So he says, if it's you, call me out. And here's what Jesus says. Come, he said. That's it. He didn't explain what was going to happen when he stepped out of what was reasonable. He didn't explain what was going to happen when he stepped beyond the borders of his comforts and security. He didn't explain what was going to happen when he stepped onto the water. He said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came towards Jesus. Let me read that again. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the winds, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. See, it was enough for Peter to get out of the boat. All he needed was a simple invitation of Jesus to come, and he did. And, and the miracle happened that day, not only with Jesus walking on water, which was in itself a miracle because he is both fully God and fully man, and so him walking on water was a miracle, but then Peter walked on water. What happened was he was in what was reasonably safe, and he saw his leader, follower, and savior doing something beyond reason and said, I want to be out there with that guy. I don't want to be in here with these blokes I want to be out there because where my Savior is, where I want to be. And he steps out. But what happened is the very faith he needed to get out, which was his eyes fixed on Jesus, he lost quickly. He got that promotion, but also in that promotion and the meetings that come along with it. How are you taking your eyes off of Jesus? You believed God for that relationship, and, and you really had your eyes fixed on Jesus to see that relationship come to pass. But now the relationship has you taking your eyes off of Jesus, and we find ourselves saying, you really believed God for whatever it is. But what happens is when we step out of the boat and we believe God, the, the circumstances change. <laughs> All of a sudden, what used to hold us up isn't what is underneath us anymore. And what we're forced to do is make the decision, do I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus 
Because he carried me from here to here. Is he going to carry me from here to here? It's a choice we all make with our wavy faith because we have the choice to fix our eyes on Jesus or the storm. You see, what separated Peter and Jesus that day is this. Peter saw Jesus do something publicly, but he didn't prepare the same way privately. Peter saw Jesus do something publicly, but he didn't prepare the same way privately. While Jesus was on the mountain all night long, praying with the Father, praying to do something in the natural, which, would only keep, which could only be done with supernatural help, Peter was out there rowing his own strength. Peter was out there with his buddies, beaten up against the wind. And there's the separation in our faith journey. Because some of us want to, we want the big, public, crazy faith. And the call of faith is one of prayer. One of being with the Father. Because the separation of those two men was that one of their hearts was ready for God to do what God was going to do. And one of them wasn't. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. How do you get to this point? Where we've prepared ourselves privately for whatever God might do, we're ready. So here's what I love about this story and many of the stories of the Bible, I want to talk about a few of them, is that wavy faith believes God could do something new through me. Wavy faith believes God could do something new through me. Just because somebody, it didn't work for somebody else or just because it's never been done before doesn't mean God can't do it. Up until this day, nobody has walked on water, <laughs> ever. He sees Jesus do it and goes, maybe he could do it through me. Call me out on the water. You see, uh, men don't go into lion's den and come out without a scratch. But God did it for Daniel. <laughs> Three boys don't go into a furnace, but then come out without a, a smell of smoke on them, but, but God did it for the three Hebrew boys. And you know what's interesting about that story? Is their conversation around that furnace. God might deliver us, but if he doesn't, he's good regardless, is the, the paraphrase of what happened. What is that? I believe God could use this storm, but if he chooses not to, I still trust him. Women in their 90s, hey, I hate to break it to you, don't typically have babies. <laughs> but God did it for Sarah. Why? Because they believed beyond what was reasonable. Teenagers don't pick up rocks and take down giants. But David believed beyond what everybody else around him believed, and he did it. Seas don't part at, the hand, at a hand and a stick. <laughs> but God did it for Moses to prove to the Israelites that God's not held by our boundaries and our, our boxes. Dead men don't walk into the grave and rise three days later. But Jesus did. Well, what if the storm you're up against is where God has exactly positioned you that you might pause and go, God, only you can change this. Only you can deliver this. And I'm begging you, if it's you, call me out into that water. I want to trust you. I want to step out. Nobody's ever done it before. That's okay. What I find so interesting about the story here is, is that there was 11 other men in that boat that day. There was 11 other men in that boat. And, and I don't know if you know about those 11 other men, but some of them are future Bible writers. <laughs> They're all Jesus followers. They've all been around Jesus for three years. They all know what he's capable of. They all just watched Peter do it. They all just watched Jesus walk on water. They all just watched the feeding of the 5,000. And the invitation of Jesus wasn't come Peter. The invitation was come. Any one of the 12 could have gotten out of the boat that day. And so when Peter decided to step up out of that boat. He wasn't separating himself from the world. He wasn't separating himself from non-believers. He was separating himself from a bunch of church folk because he said, I'll go even if no one else does. I'll believe you 
even if the other 11 stay in the boat. But we like the boat because our friends are in the boat and the expectations are in the boat and social norms are in the boat. Peter says, no, no, I'm coming out. You see, exposure to wavy faith will ruin your excuses. Exposure to wavy faith will ruin your excuses. When Peter stood on that boat and he saw his leader out there, he had no more excuses left. (laughs) When the disciples saw Peter out on that water, they had no more excuses left because God did it for them. What if we positioned ourselves where we had no excuses anymore? And we just said, this is crazy. I'm building an ark. (laughs) Hasn't rained. Everybody at church is telling me I'm crazy. I'm going to believe beyond what seems reasonable. Why? Because God might do a miracle here. Now what happens is in the boat, before we step out, we stop back and we go, but what if we drown? (laughs) What, What if we all sink? Did Peter drown that day? Let's read the story. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. And he said, why did you doubt? Now, I'm, I'm struck by Jesus' both gentleness and frankness in this statement. He's kind. He quickly saves him, but then says, you have little faith. Like, come on, Jesus, cut him a break. You just got out of the boat. What would have happened if all 12 of them had gotten out of the boat that day? Do you really think Jesus was going to let all of them drown? Do we really think Jesus was going to let any of them drown? But yet from the boat, it feels that way, doesn't it? From the boat, it feels that way. Which leads us with the final question of, of the day. Why did Jesus send him into the storm in the first place? I would argue it's the same reason he's probably sent you into the storm you're in. Because sometimes we need the storms of life to finally see his glory for what it really is. Sometimes we need a wake-up call where we see potential tragedy coming our way, pause and go, only God could deliver us from this because I want you to see how the story ends. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You notice who didn't get worshiped in the boat right there? Peter. Peter's soaking wet, hiding in the corner probably at this point. But do you see how his willingness to walk in wavy faith was a testimony to everybody around that they serve a big God? They got back in the boat after this miracle and said, truly, you are God. And I have to ask the question, what if we lived our life in such a way that when we believe God beyond what seems reasonable, that only God could show up and rescue us, that the world around us said, truly, you serve the living God? They probably won't say that about us if we're in the boat. They probably won't see that in our life if we stay with what's safe and reasonable. But if we're willing to be crazy enough to be like Peter and say, Jesus, if that's you, call me up out of the boat and I'll do it, maybe what would happen is that the world around us would continue to see that he is the living God. See, faith has nothing to do with our glory. Faith has nothing to do with us getting the accolades, nothing to do with us getting the claps. It's positioning our lives as believers where our life is a vessel that goes, it's him and him alone. Could we be that type of follower that says it's him and him alone? None of this makes sense without him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for meeting us in our storms. And even if at times 
Um, it's hard to see you, and it's hard to understand, and it's hard to have clarity on what you're doing. God, I pray that at each one of our hearts, there would be a, a humble baby faith that just takes you at your word, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you have never abandoned us. And however you choose to work the storms out in our life, God, we want to commit to trusting you. Father, I pray that our excuses would be null and void. The reasons we have for not stepping out, God, I pray that you would give us uh, examples and opportunities around us to see that you are the God who calls us into deeper faith. Lord, I pray that that would be true of each one of our hearts in here this morning. Lord, we praise you. We, we thank you that you have decided to use us, God. You don't have to use us, but you choose to use us for your glory. And I pray that we would be the men and women of God who live such good lives in front of the world that they glorify you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.